Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the original X-Men trilogy in today's review episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? So we're all aware, as hopefully, if you're listening to this, you see a fair amount of movies, you keep up with what's coming out and what's new and what you're excited for. So we're all aware, a lot of sequels, right? A lot of franchises being rebirthed, uh, Men in Black, Shaft, uh, Toy Story, back again, the MCU still going strong, Shazam, you know, uh, Dark Phoenix, X-Men, still, you know, finally sort of putting a cap on on the Fox version of of the X-Men. Child's Play, just this past weekend, came out. Annabelle, this coming weekend, coming out. Uh, Godzilla, you know, it's it's 50% or more of all the movies coming out feel like they're part of a franchise that existed or a sequel to something and I don't know if 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 anyone else kind of does this like the way I do but when I when I get to see a movie uh from a franchise or from a from a series that I it's it's long running enough that it's been a while since I've seen some of the original ones like for instance Dark Phoenix and I put it on my spreadsheet I rate it and I'm thinking Okay, how does this compare to to the other movies in this franchise? And it's relatively easy to to stack up Dark Phoenix against Apocalypse, which I've seen very recently. But when I look back at X-Men and X2 and The Last Stand and a lot of the early X-Men movies, that's not as easy to do. And, you know, I, I feel comfortable saying Dark Phoenix is worse than those three movies, but without you know, having seen most of them for at least 10 years, it's hard to know, you know, the, uh, you know, whether or not that's, you know, how true that actually is. And especially when they're movies that I watched before I started making my spreadsheet. And so rating them, there was a gap, there was a huge gap in time between when I last saw them and then when I had to assign them a rating out of 100. So those are a little sketchy and, and uh, definitely malleable. Uh, in, in some in cases. So, uh, when I watched Dark Phoenix, as I kind of uh, mentioned when I did the statistics episode for it, didn't really like it, thought it was garbage, and uh, worse than every other X-Men movie. Now, when I kept thinking about it, though, I wasn't sure if that was actually the case, because I had heard for so 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 long how awful x-men the last stand is and on the other side of that x-men and x2 are are quite highly regarded x2 i've heard thrown around as one of the best comic movies of all time one of the best comic book movie sequels um and you know i don't really remember didn't really remember them well enough to to exactly chime in on those conversations so, 
I made a note, made a mark uh, in my spreadsheet to make sure I, at some point I go back and you know revisit this franchise and really pinpoint what I think about each of these movies. And then I don't know if I'll rewatch every single one, uh, but definitely the first three, definitely I think both of the Wolverine movies, uh, just to make sure um, they're where they're supposed to be. So... Uh, that happened, you know, Dark Phoenix came out, what, like four weeks ago? Uh, thereabouts, three, three and a half weeks ago. So, a few days ago, about a week ago, uh, I started to, you know, I'm, I'm back into the swing of things uh, at the moment, where I'm watching, you know, four to five movies a day, and I've started to incorporate, you know, a rewatch into everyday that I can, and it started thanks to Toy Story. I rewatched the Toy Story trilogy before the new one came out, and I kind of just carried it on from there. I rewatched uh, the first two Despicable Me movies because I, I felt like I really didn't remember those very well. Um, I think that's it, and then I'm watching, and I've watched all three uh, X Men movies. Original trilogy. I plan on rewatching The Little Mermaid after re- after finally seeing its sequel recently. Um, I still have the Wolverine and, and Origins Wolverine to get to, but that's the thing, right? You know, you take a, a a long enough step away from something, and your outlook can completely change. Uh, And, you know, when I watched the X-Men movies for the first time, I was, you know, in middle school or high school, I was relatively young. And my opinion on movies and my outlook on movies and the way I approach them and analyze them has definitely changed substantially in that time since. But I've never gone back to, you know, revisit this franchise. So when I put in X-Men... I had originally given it a 72. 72, yeah. Uh, Which made it the highest rated movie in the original trilogy for me. And I think general consensus seems to say that that X2 is the best movie in the the original trilogy. And X-Men is such an old movie. And watching it now... I, I don't I don't think these movies hold up as well as the first as I, I don't think this franchise, this trilogy, holds up as well as Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. I think the effects are easier to see through in the X-Men movie. And I think, man, I'm sure that's just because they have so many more effects that they have to show and so many more characters with abilities and things like that. But the effects don't don't quite stand up. Um that said, uh, you know, having really only seen Logan for, for Wolverine in the last, like, five or six years, seeing him again kind of in his prime, Jackman as Wolverine in his prime, is, it's still really affecting. You know, this is my introduction to Jackman in cinema, and it's such, it's a great way to show this guy, because he's a very good actor, he can play a lot of different roles, and to watch him go from, you know, primetime Wolverine to, you know, the greatest showman to the front runner to, to 
back to Wolverine and Logan is is such a transformation. And I was really pleased to kind of like get to see him again and um, see how he approached this character from the beginning. The other part is it's been a while since we've really had Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen with a meaty role in an X-Men an X-Men movie and probably since Days of Future Past and even then, you know, question mark if it's that meaty of a role. They're so good. Uh, you know, so many of these franchises, uh, especially, you know, comic book movies, they really don't have older actors in them. Uh, you know, Batman really only, you know, Batman, I think Nolan's Batman does a good job of having Michael Caine and, and Morgan Freeman as these these huge veteran actors, these big name guys who have been just, you know, you know, in the zeitgeist and, and you know, household names for decades. And X-Men really knocked it out of the park with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen as Magneto and Professor X. But some of the newer franchises and newer reboots and newer comic book movies don't do that. Or, or if they do, it's, it's not quite as good. Um, you know, I, I'm like, look at Aquaman, right? The, the two quote-unquote old actors in Aquaman are probably Willem Dafoe and Dolph Lundgren. And don't get me wrong, I love Willem Dafoe, but those two people against Stewart and McKellen just don't really, you know, hold up. So getting to see them again really in these roles is wonderful and great, and I, I was really pleased to see that. I, I think McKellen is so great in this franchise, and uh, he really gave Fassbender such a fantastic um sort of outline and, and structure to work with. But that's kind of where, where it all breaks down is then you're left with, you know, Storm and Jean Grey and uh, Cyclops who, especially in the first movie, I think all of them are pretty trash characters. They're poorly written. They're underdeveloped. Cyclops never gets any better. Storm never gets any better throughout the franchise. Uh, Jean Grey somewhat since she's such a huge focus in in the last stand and, and to a mind to a lesser degree in, in x2 but these characters just don't get anything to do you know cyclops main trait is that when he's around logan he's a jerk storm has really awful one-liners uh that that line she has um you know what happens to a toad in a thunder when it gets hit by lightning? The same thing that happens to everyone else. Her delivery is terrible in that for that line. Uh, it, it really makes you question why they cast her as Catwoman. Not that if you've seen Catwoman that that movie was ever going to be any good, but not sure what uh, convinced anyone that she was capable of like anchoring, uh, you know, a huge franchise comic book movie but but there's more more to it than that and I think where the X-Men movies really work and, and where they do their best work is when their storytelling is done right the X-Men mutants are a, a, an incredibly created analog to to so many maligned groups of people in the world uh whether 
they are maligned for their sexuality or gender or skin color or, you know, all of the above, whatever it is, there's a lot of great parallels you can draw between humans and mutants and white, black, gay, straight, male, female, whatever you want. And there's so much rich opportunity to tell those stories through the X-Men. And in the first movie, in X-Men, and into next too, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, you know, frustrating to, to compliment, you know, to, to lob any sorts of compliments in, in Brian Singer's direction, but those first two movies actually do a very good job of addressing those sorts of issues and putting them at the forefront and, you know, showing just how difficult it is to be quote-unquote different and how it doesn't matter what you think on the inside about the difference that you have. It doesn't matter if you're happy or unhappy with the thing that makes you different. It just matters what everyone else thinks. And that is such a devastating thought. And, you know, you look at the opening scene of X-Men and it's, you know, young Magneto in a concentration camp, you know, in Germany, which is just, you know, it sets the tone for what this franchise is and what this franchise, the potential it has, being that mutants are Jews during the Holocaust. You know, there's there's a power uh, a group of people in power whether they're Nazis or human beings, homo sapiens, that look at this group of people, Jews or mutants, and want to exterminate them. They see them as either a threat or a disgrace or, you know, some, you know, just an abomination. And their only response is fear and violence and war. And it's such a travesty. It's it's such a, it, you know, from that one opening scene in, in, in a concentration camp says so much for this franchise. You don't need, you know, extra sim, sil, symbolism or, or explanation when you transfer from that moment into, you know, mutants and just seeing the way that they live and how they hide themselves from the rest of the world and how... They have incredible powers, incredible, you know, abilities and potential, and they could do so much and do so much great with the world. And yet, they still can't share it. They still can't reveal it. They still can't go out in the open. And between X-Men and X-2, you get a great feel for how painful it is, whether it's, you know, legal ramifications, um, you know, outlawing mutants or, 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 you know, you get to see uh, that some of their powers, you know, it's easier to hide than others. And, you know, why, when Wolverine, when Logan is, is kicked out of the bar because he's, you know, he's a mutant when, because he, 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 takes a few extra punches that, you know, don't leave a scratch on him. And the whole that's the reason that he's, 
you know, picked on later. And this, this process, this thought process in and of itself, that if you don't, if you don't at least, if you're not at least there for your own kind, then, then what, what is even the point kind of permeates through rogue, you know, her power which allows her to to suck the life force out of somebody else and absorb their abilities and and you know it, it makes it impossible for her to share a kiss, hold a hand, uh, you know, even an embrace is is life-threatening and it's can't it can't be easy, you know. It's the kind of stuff that you know would get make you live in a bubble. And when she, she, I think it's, she wakes Logan up, he stabs her in his sleep, and then realizes what happened and doesn't know how to help her, can't help her, doesn't know what to do, and some, and their skin touches, and she gains the ability to regenerate from him, which heals her and mildly pains him and he's he's fine this leads to a conversation that she has with sean ashmore's character Iceman. and now we find out after after you know a minute after this that he's actually not it's not actually him it's i think mystique uh you know pretending to be him but this conversation that they have is still incredibly important and that is you know he tells her you never use your powers against another mutant. Never mind the fact that if she hadn't done that, she's probably going to be dead. Never mind the fact that, you know, some of some powers are for good. But this 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 exchange does two things. One, it shows this this under underlying thought that the world has about mutants and you know it it treats them as this other and by mystique as iceman saying this to her it further solidifies in rogue just how alienated they truly are from humans the other thing that it does and you don't realize it does this until you know that it's not actually iceman saying these words is it shows what Magneto and and his band of mutants see in the world. Now they don't. It, it's kind of the inverse of you know you're alienated. It's it's we have to stick together. It's if we're not if if we're if we have any hope at all, it's we're not fighting amongst ourselves. And that element is the second layer to this whole franchise, which is that Magneto and Professor X, two of the most powerful beings in the world who have been friends when they were younger and, you know, are kind of on and off again in their older age, need each other. And when they're not together, things do not work out. 
when it's just Magneto going out on his own, con, you know, conducting things as he sees fit, it just it never quite gets to the point that he needs it to. But when they work together, and every time you see them together, it, it's it's brilliant. You know, I think the the movies do such a great job of showing just how strong they can be together. When in X two, when they take out Stryker's base, and all the mutants are together, and and you know, even Magneto and and Mystique are working with the rest of the X Men, and they get to, they have to find Charles and save Charles. It, it's such a fantastic feeling because you can you can see how well Magneto could actually have fit in this within in this X-Men dynamic. You know, maybe he never fully relinquishes this this idea that he's in charge and that's fine, like that's conflict that we could have used and experienced, but it's just not in his nature. He just does not have it in him to do that. You know, Magneto has a very singular view on on what the future for mutants needs to be, and it is on their own. And he's willing to achieve that by any means necessary, especially if it means killing all humans. Meanwhile, Charles is not not on board uh, with that direction. So, like I said, I think there's a lot of good stuff in these first two X-Men movies. I ended up lowering the first X-Men from like 72 to a 67. Minor, minor quibbles. Um, You know, I don't think it quite uh, worked on me as well this time as it did the first time. And I think the negatives were a lot more blatant and glaring. Some of the characters, like I mentioned, uh, Storm and Cyclops and Jean, as well as the Toad guy and anyone that's not Logan, Charles, Eric, Mystique, or Rogue, kind of worthless in this movie. In X2, which I originally gave a 69, um, stayed a 69. So it moved to number one in this original trilogy uh, just by remaining uh, stagnant. And I just, I I don't feel as though this is a movie that deserves to be in this conversation of best comic book movie of all time or, or, or best sequel or any of those things. It's very, it's a good movie and it does a lot of good things, but it still suffers with all of these characters that, you know, it introduces more characters and more of them just lose screen time and don't get enough to do. Uh, there's, there's just... There's one sequence, and I, I love and I hate this sequence, and it's an X2. They, they're all... Uh, Striker, who is a fantastic villain, uh, definitely an improvement by adding, you know, Brian Cox to the cast. We get Stryker in this one, and he raids Xavier's school. They all escape, uh, but Logan, Rogue, 
um, Fire Guy and Iceman. Uh, I, I think those it's just those four. Get away and go hide out at uh, Sean Ashmore's house, Iceman's house. His parents and, and brother come home, and it's uh, finally time to have the talk where he comes out as a mutant. And great scene, um, I think is is the actors that play his family aren't very good, but the scene itself I, I like, and you know it's a necessary one. It helps continue to draw these parallels. It helps to continue to draw these lines and connections. We get a mom, his mom, who uh, still loves him, but but uh, has has some trouble. You know, obviously there's a little shock going on. Dad is maybe a little less, you know, a little more worse for wear, but he seems to be able to hold himself together. He, th- I think he's going to be able to tolerate this development. Logan's sitting standing there, and he starts to see a SWAT team, police, swarm the house and swarm the premises. We know that Iceman's brother didn't say anything, ran upstairs in a fit of anger, and called the police. So, that's the part I want to focus on, because I love this and I hate this in perhaps equal amounts. We'll start with the good stuff. I love this because we don't know anything about this kid. We've never seen him before. He His first line of dialogue is on the phone with 911 dispatch, I think. And at the end of the movie, he never shows up again. We never see him again. We don't know anything about him ever. But we know all we need to know. And what we know is he has been brought up. He has been raised. He has been taught to hate mutants. And not only to hate them, but to view their very existence as criminal. So much so, and it has been so ingrained in him, that he takes one look at his brother, who reaches out and freezes coffee in a, in a mug, and instantly knows he has to call the police and turn his brother in. And from us from from a you know within the x-men world that is a brilliant and beautiful device it there's no explanation necessary it's just a simple call he doesn't we don't even hear the conversation it's just you know we get like one two exchanges we don't know what he actually even tells them but it's enough and to, to see just how deeply ingrained this pain and this anger and this frustration is. Um, I mean, that's, that's tough. That is, that is very, very difficult. And I think the movie does a fantastic job of making this scene relevant of making this scene fit into this overall narrative fit into this message of of you know these are the other the world views these people as the other they are criminally in the wrong just by existing and you know that is 
not unlike a lot of places in the world today with a lot of different groups of people that are no that, you know currently illegal to just exist in these places and this scene really showcases that on the other hand on the other hand now i also said i hate this scene and i hate it because it 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 communicates this element very, very well, but the problem is viewers, people, me, you, whoever, watching this scene, we can't exactly relate to that thought process that his brother goes through, or I would assume most of us can't. Now, for me, I look at this and I'm just, I, I'm shaking my head, I'm scoffing, I'm rolling my eyes, I'm angry because this piece of douche crap brother who sees and understands and learns that his, his brother is, is a friggin' superhero, that he has the ability to freeze things. He, you know, he can turn into an ice person, and, and who knows what that can be used for. But that's so cool, right? That's so awesome. And I'm thinking, if someone that I loved, someone that I knew, someone that I cared about, all of a sudden showed up and revealed that they had ice powers or, I don't know, fire powers or telekinesis or telepathy or, you know, could sprout claws out of their hands or, you know, even if they could suck the life force out of a thing by touching it, you know, the, 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 the idea, the, the thought to call the police on this person wouldn't even make the list of things I'd think. You could give me, you know, I, I could come up with 10,000 things I would prefer to do, I would want to do, I would think to do before ever calling the police on this person. And so because my mindset is so far removed from the mindset of this brother, the movie has to jump through, or should have to jump through a lot of hoops to get me to understand and to get past my own pro thought process and, and be able to think in his. And I think that is my main failure with this scene. Uh, why I don't, why I also hate it as much as I love it, it's because I did have that eye-rolling, anger, frustrated reaction when... I think if this was perfectly constructed, my reaction would be more of, you know, sympathetic. Oh my goodness, how could he do this? This is awful. You know, you got to get out of there. And and my thought process does not go there. I don't instantly go to defend the Iceman character because he's now in danger or or any of them because they're now in danger. I instantly go to this guy's a piece of crap, you know, and then, you know, it just kind of spirals from there. Like, what have he, what has he been learning? Why are his parents awful to him? And like, how do they not teach him to be accepting? And like, what? And you keep going and you're like, does this universe have superheroes? Have they ever had comic books? Do they know what they are? It's a Marvel movie. I don't know if like Superman or 
Iron Man or not obviously not Superman, but you know, does do any of these people exist in this universe? Is it just X-Men? If this wasn't purely a Fox property, would we see references to other Marvel movies somewhere in this franchise? Does Spider-Man exist in this? Because if they do, then this guy's knows what a superhero is, but but they can't because X-Men, you know, because the plot of these X-Men movies kind of relies on there not being quote unquote good or quote unquote acceptable, you know, metahumans. And so it's frustrating because I really think this is a great scene, but I think the groundwork that it needed isn't exactly there. The things around this scene don't work to, to, to get me into the mindset I think I'm supposed to be when it plays out. And that's endlessly frustrating. Endlessly frustrating. Endlessly frustrating. Anyway. 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 At the end of X2, the end of X2, uh, we get Jean Grey sacrificing herself to, to save everyone else. And uh, it's a good moment. It's fine. Uh, it, it's obvious, you know, that she's not dead. But nevertheless, it's it's a fine moment. And, you know, these first two movies do, you know, a hundred times more work to, to establish the Dark Phoenix uh, saga, the Dark Phoenix storyline than any of the newer movies did before Dark Phoenix came out. So at least it's got that going for it. So uh, not that I'd say The Last Stand should have been a slam dunk, but it it had a great place to start from, <laughs> honestly. It, it really didn't need a lot of work, I think, to to pull off being a good movie and, and wrapping up this, this story in a, a very satisfying way. Except... <laughs> And I don't know that I would ever say that I think Brian Singer should have directed it, but getting Brett Ratner to direct this movie was such a terrible decision. Uh, it's it's really disappointing because so so the last stand I'd actually remember liking. You know, I had rated it in like like a sixty-seven, uh, which is where I had lowered the first X-Men to. I expected to lower The Last Stand um, because it's talked about very poorly. You know, most people don't like it. I think some people even consider it the worst X-Men movie. Uh, I don't, but... So I wa- I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out and understand and kind of wrap my head around what is good and what isn't good about this movie and there's a couple of things so <laughs> the last stand commits a lot of a lot of movie crimes uh and i you know it makes you wonder what was going through ratner and, and the writers my heads when when they were creating it but it commits like the midichlorians problem so midichlorians introduced in the prequel trilogy of star wars universally disliked uh as far as i know there's no reference to the class level of mutants in the first two movies not sure if it's a thing in the comics or not 
But all of a sudden, it's introduced in the third movie uh, as a character who is able to kind of assess mutant abilities as one of her mutant abilities. You know, it's like, oh, well, you guys are like the only people above level three in this room of mutants. Uh, only basically to service the idea that Jean Grey is, you know, a level five and, you know, more powerful than anyone else. Do we need that? Like, really? We introduced this entire little, you know, A, B, and C thing just to get us to, you know, Jean Grey is more powerful than anyone else in this universe. And no, like, we see her abilities, we see her literally rip human beings, disintegrate them, snap them out of existence before our eyes without, you know, lifting a finger. I don't think we need some throwaway side character to, like, tell us this, to tell us that she is incredibly powerful. I think we can tell. So, you know, it doesn't have that going for it. Uh, we get introduced to... Uh, if you watch uh, Grey's Anatomy, McSteamy, and he's the guy who can duplicate himself, he gets two lines in the movie. We're introduced to him. He can, you know, be eight different people, 10 different, 20, 30, 50. Uh, and then he's used as a decoy. Looks like he probably got captured, probably got shot with, a, with the cure to being a mutant. Uh, but we never see him again, so who the hell knows? It's such a so frustrating. Um, we get Angel Ben Foster, who looks prepubescent in this movie. Uh, unnecessary, worthless, not needed. We have the little kid who they developed the cure from, whose mutant power is that he removes the power of other mutants in his proximity. Again, we don't really get to know anything about him. Uh, he's then brought into the school later on, and I'm sure there's a lot of hijinks that ensue from that inclusion. But his his whole thing and his whole existence is not really explained. It's just kind of there. We're like, we've got a cure. How did you get the cure? This guy. And very little explanation done. Uh, and I think it hurts because this movie is like 95 minutes long. This is the third part in a trilogy, and it's like the shortest one of the three. Uh, yeah. Um, things I like about X3, The Last Stand. Things I liked about it. One, Rogue wanting to get the cure. Absolutely, I love that. I wish they'd done more with it. They kind of squandered a little bit. But I think there's a really compelling arc to that that decision. And it makes sense. It really does. Um, Charles Xavier's death. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, that doesn't fully uh, take effect. Uh, you know, he, he exists in future movies and, you know, the timeline, who can, who knows. But I liked that he died in this movie. I like that he dies in front of Eric. I like that he dies in front of Logan. And I wish they'd done more to, to sort of play upon how this death affected those characters and other characters around them. I wish they'd done more to showcase that this is a huge deal. Obviously, it's a very big deal. And, you know, they commemorate it with the gravestone and the, you know, the 
funeral and everything. And you get that one good moment from Ian McKellen where he's like, you know, Charles did more for mutants, you know, before you were born, blah, 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 when he's talking to the fire guy. And that's great, but I, I wanted more. I think his death should have a much bigger impact because it happens about halfway through the movie. And the movie kind of falls apart after that. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, Mystique? Man, they did Mystique dirty in, in, in The Last Stand. She is captured before we ever see her character in the movie. She spends her entire time in this movie in uh, confinement of some sort. When she's finally freed, she is shot with a dart that allows her to, or that gives her the cure. And her last act is to spill the beans on um, uh, Magneto and his plans as a human now. So I get I get that. Like obviously, you know, he leaves her behind now that she's human. So she, you know, goes against him, which leads to like one of the sexist parts of this movie where cut to you know she there's like how'd you get the information and he's like she gave us everything cut to this room of like 70 old white guys and the one just says aloud to no one really in particular like hell hath no fury like woman scorn and it's just it's such a skeevy scene and it does not feel good and unnecessary does not need to be there actively detracts from the film but mystique who uh, is such an interesting character and and they've obviously they tried to do more with her when Jennifer Lawrence took over the role but there's so much potential in that character and i think X3 really wasted it i think you just remove all the other side characters alongside Magneto except for Mystique and uh, the fire guy, like those are the ones, get them to in- introduce, G- in, you know, in- recruit, uh, recruit Gene, and then you just have like all these no names. That's fine. That's all you need. Done. Mystique is exciting. Mystique can be any of the characters you want her to be. Game over. Game over. Game over, guys. Um. Yeah. So I ended up dropping uh, the last hand down to a 41. It really doesn't hold up. It's not trash. It is not trash. Like I said, there's some iconic moments in it. It has some good ideas that it doesn't quite flesh out, but it is definitely a disappointing end to this trilogy. Much in the same way that Spider-Man 3 was a Spider-Man 3 was a disappointment to the end of the Spider-Man trilogy. But I digress. Um, yeah, this is, it's been kind of eye-opening to go through these old movies, these old X-Men movies, and reappraise them with the knowledge of what's to come. And for how little I remembered of, of the X-Men trilogy, I remember even, even less of the two Wolverine movies. They, they do not. I think one of them takes place in a different country. I remember when one of them, after one came out, I think it's the one where he gets bone claws, or he always had bone claws. I don't know. 
I remember trying to figure out, okay, well, if this takes place in this time, when did he get the adamantium claws? And then we go back in time to like X-Men first class and like he's already got the adamantium claws or, or you know, there's the time... You could do a whole podcast episode on the timeline in, in, in the X-Men movies and they've had... You know, let me see. The trilogy, Wolverine, Wolverine, Logan, First Class, Days of Future Past, Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, not to mention Deadpool. So 10 movies plus Deadpool to create a narrative, to create a story that follows along a timeline. And even with Days of Future Past, which tries to combine the two and rewrite some of it and unwrite some of it and then retcon and like all these other movies like this one ignores these three and this one ignores those two and this one ignores that one if you've ever seen primer time travel movie that is infinitely easier to understand from a time loop management perspective than these fucking x-men movies it is absolutely infuriating even endgame handles time travel far better than this uh and and, you know people gripe about endgame's time travel issues which i think are few and far between this franchise does not even understand what time travel is it's ridiculous. Mm. Okay. So, in summation, in summation, X-Men trilogy, slightly worse than than I remembered it. Um, X2, about as, as good as I remembered it. Uh, X-Men 1, still good. Uh, touch, uh, just a small step down and... and Last stand, a significant step down, but not you know, still overall a good trilogy of movies. And given the time that they came out, a solid, a solid, solid entry into the comic book cinematic world. And uh, you know, who's to say what happens if they never existed? Uh, you know, it, would we still have Spider-Man? Would it have been as big? Would it have, you know? Would the fervor have still been there? And I don't know. I don't know. Might not have been. So, X-Men. The X-Men trilogy. It's, that's it. That's what we're at. That's what's going on. If, if, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to share your thoughts on the X-Men trilogy, have you seen them recently? Has it been a decade? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Circle of Film. You can send me an email, circleoffilm.gmail.com. You can find me on Letterboxd at Circle of Film. You can head to the website, circleoffilm.com, for all the previous episodes and more. You can support the show by liking, rating, review, subscribing, tell your friends, tell whoever. Or you can support the show by becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash Circle of Film for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you one more time for listening to today's episode. And as always, as always, have a week. So long, farewell. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu.
nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, au revoir, I'll be just saying. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.